Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that's really looking forward to this January when Manchester United make a £100 million bid for Kimo Roof after last night's wonder goal. On today's show we're talking midfield lethargy, a player woefully out of form and a trip to West Ham that almost always produces goals by the bucketful. So that's that jinx then. To jinx it further, I'm delighted to be joined today by two guests who reduce the average age of a 93-20 fraternity to that of a respectable figure. Young enough to still get away with wearing jeans, but not fresh enough to use words like peng or dub, or indeed fresh. It's Lloyd and Joe. Hi Lloyd, how are you man? Hi Steve, uh, I still use the word peng actually. Well that's Sorry what I'm saying, you and Joe are young enough too, but you know, okay. me, I can't really get away with it. So. No, no, you definitely can't. Are you mate. feeling fresh today? <laughs> Yeah, I'm feeling fresh. I was actually, I was just chatting to Leon um, because last time we played West Ham at West Ham was obviously first game of last season and we both went to that game together. Uh, yeah. So I was just having a quick chat with him, bringing back a few memories. Feels like ages ago now. Leon definitely says Peng and Dub, doesn't he? Uh, Peng, definitely. Probably just, Peng, yeah. I can hear it now. Boarding school boy turned <laughs> twangy cockney twat, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he is this. Um, how are you, Joe? You okay, mate? Yeah, I'm all good. Yeah, that was a that was a, that was a peng intro. Big dub boss, man. <laughs> Love it. Yes, I tell you, I can't get away with saying it. I can't. I even sometimes want to. No, tweet even it. I can't. I I, I felt my insides cringe as I said that. To be honest. Uh... <laughs> right, let's get into it. And it's a bit of a negative start, really, but it's something I've wanted to discuss for the last couple of weeks, and then it really came highlighted in the Porto game. City's kind of slow, predictable build-up play, particularly through their midfield, it's becoming somewhat of a problem. It's becoming more common. Um, first of all, Joe, would you agree that it's becoming more commonplace? And what would you kind of nail as the reasons for it? Uh, yeah, it's definitely becoming more common. I think we saw it a lot last season um, as well as this season. So if it had just been for the first few games that we've had in the last month or so, I'd be I'd be inclined to say that it had something to do with like the players' fitness levels or, yeah. or the sharpness of the players because obviously we haven't had much of a pre-season. But I think we saw this quite a lot last season, which ended up being in most of the games that we either, that we didn't win in the league and and otherwise, you know, it 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 was basically our downfall. The fact that we didn't really have much going through the middle it was very sort of it was very sort of immobile I think and I think the large reason down to that and I know that it's been spoken about on the pod a lot this week already is um is obviously the the Rodri and Gundogan double pivot um I think even though they're both incredibly gifted players and they both do exactly what Pep wants them to um they they don't have many legs between them and they're not they're not the most sort of direct dynamic players that you can have and I think we saw it against Porto and, and you see it a lot against teams where they just sit back and just let us attack them. Having two, having two deep lying midfielders who aren't going to sort of push forward and press the defense that is quite happy to sit on the edge of its own box. Like doesn't really, it, it doesn't really do much for us. And I don't think Gundogan played as an eight is, is particularly impressive. It's certainly not compared to like Foden or De Bruyne. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, but we're seeing it a worrying amount now. And I do think that there is a correlation between Rodri and Gundogan and the sort of the speed and intensity of our midfield. And that you, you can't really ignore that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming worryingly common. Well, it was certainly really apparent in the first half against Porto. And when asked about it, Pep said that Porto was sitting deep and he expected them to attack us more, but surely City encounter that every other game teams kind of playing very deep with kind of 10 behind the ball. 
Uh, we used to be able to break them down, and now we're really struggling to. Um, Lloyd, what, what would you attribute that to? Mm, to be honest, I, I'm not as concerned as you two about this. Um, I think... I think it is something that obviously we've seen. I think it does often come when Rodri and Gundo play together, but I think this is something that we often had when, when David was still around. Um, you know, he was the king of kind of recycling the ball and um, us basically keeping teams pinned back and, you know, going kind of from left to right about 40 yards out from goal. Um, to be honest, I think this is more a symptom, not completely, but I think part of this is down to the fact that I think this season and partly last season post-lockdown, there are just so many games now in such a high, in such a in such a short space of time. Injuries have all, already become ridiculous. I think all of us have seen as well how stupid the Premier League was to reject the five substitutions rule. And to be honest, I think this is a bit of a symptom of, the, of that fixture pile-up and I think teams are going to manage games slightly differently. And I think we'll see, you know, fixtures where... You know, either when we're you know ahead or when it's one nil, or you know, like we saw against Arsenal, and you know the same against Porto, where actually the team just take a little bit of a step back and just play with their foot off the gas slightly. It's I'm I'm not too concerned by it. I I do think it's slightly a symptom of the circumstances at the moment. Okay, well, just staying with you, Lloyd. Um, Joe mentioned there about you know Foden being in there and De Bruyne. I naively. Well, actually, my question to you is, Is it, am I naive to think this? Is It can be remedied by just kind of quicker, sharper passes into feet, and that's something that yeah, Foden and De Bruyne do well. So would you say that that is kind of the cause and effect, really, that, that, that the solution would be if basically we just speeded it up a little bit? Yeah, but I think for me, the guy that's most um, kind of culpable for that is, is Rodri. Actually, yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's not Gundogan. I think we've missed Gundogan this season. I'm really glad he's back. Um, and I know people have issues with him playing. You know, the, it's the kind of classic barb that's thrown him. He plays too many sideways passes or easy passes. But actually, for me, the big difference is I just don't think Rodri's releasing the ball quickly enough. And I think the big one of the big things of um, of how good Ferner was is just that ability just to get the ball and shift it so quickly. And kind of set us on our way, and I think we saw that actually in the in the Wolves game when Ferner played. And obviously, he's out now for six weeks. But people have concerns about Rodri's positioning, and I think they're, they're very valid. And we're we're kind of coming towards a bit of a crunch time on that over the next few months. But for me, I, I also don't think he's moving it quickly enough. I, he sprays it around excellently, and he's got an, a, a lovely kind of passing range. I think he can pick balls out that say Ferner possibly can't, but. I do, I do think, like you say, I don't think he's shifting it quickly enough, and I actually think it's affecting kind of our intensity once we um, get the ball back. I think that's a fair shout, Joe. Would you say are you similar to me, where basically you can nail it within two minutes? You know, within two minutes, right? City are on it today, or you know, conversely, two minutes in, a couple of slow passes sideways and not really going anywhere. It's going to ask oh, him be one of those days. Yeah, I, I think I think the Leon game is is the one that everyone, like every City fan, will always point yeah. to probably for the next few years and say we all saw within a few minutes exactly how this game was gonna gonna pan out. And I think I think yeah, you're probably right in that uh, in a lot of games you can see within the first certainly the first five to ten minutes whether or not a system is or the players themselves are like are, are on it whether they're like playing with a lot of intensity or they're, they're sort of being a bit sluggish and a bit off it. 
Um, and it always comes back down to the, the, the age old question of like how much of that is down to the players and how they feel on that particular day or how much of that is just down to what the, you know, the players and managers picking the system, the managers playing. Um, I, there's always going to be a bit of both in that, but I think, I think Lloyd's, uh, got it probably spot on with the, with the Rodri thing. I think he's, as much as I love him, I think he is, I think he's a great player. And I think if, if we had the midfielders around him to sort of allow him to do what he does, like he did at Atletico, where he has some, you know, pretty combative midfielders next to him, like we saw when he had Fernandinho next to him, he can really, he can, he can do great things for us. But when, when Rodri's the deepest sitting midfielder in front of the back four, and he's got two playmakers alongside him, as well as being a playmaker himself, I just don't think that, I think the midfield loses something that it, that it needs when Fernandinho, and that, that Fernandinho does give us, and obviously we, like, like Lloyd said, we can't, we can't see that for the next six weeks at least. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just, we need to get that balance right in midfield. And I don't, I don't know if we actually have, Apart from Fernandinho, I don't know if we really have the players to provide much of, of that balance. Well, Lance, I mean, I agree with, with everything you've said, but you've kind of depressed me, really, because the answer seems to be in many different ways, Fernandinho. <laughs> We're talking about playing his mid-30s. 35-year-old. <laughs> yeah, who's now out for six weeks. But um, you mentioned um, the midfield being somewhat sluggish there, Joe. Um, I think the same could be said for Mares right now. Um, staying with you, Joe, is this form worrying you? Is, is there any signs of improvement? Can you see imp- improving? Is this a temporary thing? I can see it being a temporary thing, but he didn't look great after he looked. I thought last season up until lockdown, he was, he was, he was brilliant. Like he was, he was fitting into the system. He was playing. He'd just come off the back of the um, African Cup of Nations in the summer. He'd sort of, we'd, we'd seen those reports coming out before the season had started where he was like raring to go. And he was, he was, he was desperate to sort of nail his place down in Pep squad and sort of prove himself. And he did that for the next six months. Then, um, then, then Project Restart came around, and I think it became pretty clear that Pep preferred Foden out on the right to either yeah. Mares or Bernardo. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's affected him, but it's but he's getting a good run of games because he's played. Has he started all the games this yeah. season? I yeah. don't know. He started. He started all of them. Yeah. So he's so he's you know he's getting game time. And I think every City fan who's watching can see that he's playing a lot more like first season Mares than last season Mares, and. It's it's he's he's just been he's been that same old you know the the, the classic selfish player who you you know when you you see him get the ball near the edge of the area we all know he's just going to cut in on his left and try and have a shot. Um, he's he, you know he has he's had his moments. I think um, I think Lloyd picked out after the Arsenal game on the uh, review pod that he he did a pretty a pretty good pass in the build up to our goal and that's the kind those are the kind of moments that he's capable of. But we're just we're not seeing we're not seeing it often enough. It's like for every good game Mares has. There's there's a bad to mediocre one that, that that goes alongside it, and it's just we just need that consistency back that he had last season. Well, I mean, it's consistently being picked, as you said, and that's a real surprise to me. Lloyd, do you think Pep's continuing to pick him so often just until Torres has found his feet at sea? Yeah, I do think that, and I think ultimately Mares is what he's in his third season now. I think. We all know what Pep's like with seniority of players in terms of kind of ranking them within the squad and the treatment that they get. Um, I think he is he is a senior player. He's one of our he's one of our most senior players now. So I think Pep obviously relies on him. And I think I think we've seen you know in the past with you know Silver and other players, Pep will often give those senior players potentially too much rope before they should get dropped and uh, and overplay them. So um, I think there's an element of that, but. 
I think for me, there have been signs actually that um, he's getting slightly there. Um, I think his performances over the last two games have been a bit better, but I still think he's way off, to be honest. I think the frustrating thing with Mares for me, I always come back to it, is it's just the, the guy has got technical ability close to, or as close to Messi as I think there are, there are players in the world. I mean, he, what he can do with the ball at his feet is is unbelievable. And actually, I think something that he has added whilst he's been at City is, for me, when he was at Leicester, he was always that kind of the cut inside merchant, a bit, you know, incredibly good at it, a bit like Robin, but he always seemed to to kind of always come back on his left. Whereas more recently, I think he's he's had that one where he can go down the outside now on his right and he looks just as good and it often leaves defenders completely done. I mean, he, you know, he did, did that to Tierney um, against Arsenal, but... Yeah, I think it's right to, to shine the spotlight on him. I, I don't think he's he's not producing the numbers that he should be. But realistically, Mara should be on 15 Prem goals, 10 assists a season at least for me, given his age and his experience. So we do need to see a bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it possible? Yeah, going through. Is it possible? Like we we've we've missed Laporte, and I think a lot of his success last season came from sort of Laporte pinging a ball out to the right wing. Mares and his ridiculous first touch just taking that on a uh, and just and just being left one on one with a with a defender, sitting him down and then just doing whatever he needs to to get to either score himself or or give a goal to someone else. But obviously I, I don't know, I could be re- maybe wrong about this, but we haven't seen many of those balls sprayed out to the right wing to give him that one on one situation anymore. It seems like a lot of it is him coming from deep and he's got to basically do a counter-attack where he's got to run past two or three defenders. And as good as Mares is, I don't think that's really that's really where he's best used. I think he's best put one-on-one with a left-back and just and just get at them and then get a goal or an assist out of that. But I feel like we've maybe not been doing that as much this season, which could be which could be affecting him. And maybe with Laporte back, because Laporte's great at spraying those balls from mm. the left side of the defence over to that right-hand side. Maybe we might see... Maybe we might see more of it once he's once Laporte's back in the squad consistently again. But I don't I don't know that could that's just be a good be, point. That could I think, no, that's a good point. I, I, I've got to say, Morez has got the best first touch of any footballer I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it genuinely I thought has. I thought it was Bernardo, and then I saw and you see Morez yes. doing it every yeah. week, and it's just I mean, mad. you know, even up there alongside or even superior to Messi in that regard, the way he actually just kills it stone dead. But not only kills it stone dead, but he has the ability to, from 40 yards, no matter what angle it comes at him or pace, he gets it where the ball basically resides exactly where he wants it next. I mean, it is incredible, his first touch. And um, for anyone who's could hear any noise in the background there, my apologies, my phone wasn't turned off. And the reason I bring it up is I am gagging to tell you all what those notifications were, but I can't. I'll, I'll, I'll give a clue. I work for a, a company who I, um, do sports merchandise and currently a former pop star is trying to snag some freebies for Christmas. That's all I'll say. Oh God. It's brilliant. I really really (laughs) want to tell everyone, but I can't, I'll be sacked. Get your libel lawyer involved. (laughs) It's amazing. Honestly. Yeah. I can't say, um, I wish I could. Anyway, let's move on to West Ham um, tomorrow. Lunchtime kickoff. I'm a big fan of lunchtime kickoffs, but sometimes we do, tend to see a slowing down of pace, which is worrying considering what we started to show with. Um, Lloyd, how do you see this one going? I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a really tough game. West Ham have been... I think they've been great. I've watched actually most of their games and I think 
you know, they've, they've conceded quite a few, but they've played some really good stuff. And I think it's kind of, it kind of belies what we probably think about David Moyes in terms of how he sets his teams up. Um, mm. I think he's really struck on something as well with this um, 3-4-3 that, that they're off, often playing. Antonio's kind of developed now into this kind of bulldozing number nine, um, who's also obviously technically very good. Um, but he he's kind of the perfect guy to play in and around off. And, you know, they're playing Bowen, who I think is really impressive, actually. I've been super impressed with him since he's arrived in the Prem. And Pablo Fornals off them. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think they're a dangerous team. And I think actually... I think that front three kind of can cause City a lot of a lot of problems in theory, at least. Um, Antonio is very quick, and the other two are very technical and can get in and around spaces. Um, having said that, I think you can equally very much get at West Ham. Um, but I think the other thing for me is that that I, I, having <laughs> said what I said about going to the game with Leon at the beginning of the pod, like I've I've been been to that stadium, and I think we all know what that stadium is like when West Ham aren't playing well. And I think them playing behind closed doors is, mm. a, I think that's a big plus for them. Actually. Yeah, I know that true. sounds, I know that sounds completely bizarre, no, um, but I, I think it helps West Ham. Um, and, you know, that comeback against Spurs was, was ridiculous. And, <laughs> um, you know, they, they've, they've, if you actually look at the team, you know, they've got some really good players. So, you know, I, I would f- completely expect us to win and you know we're building a little bit of a head of steam now in terms of results not performances um but i don't think it's going to be a pushover by any means i think they will definitely test us potentially in ways we might not have been tested yet actually yeah imagine um someone tweeting at half time spurs west ham back in spurs to win the title imagine the abuse that who, who the get. hell would do that no idea mate. no <laughs> idea i i missed the second half and started making some tea no, before I knew it, I started getting inundated with all these laughing emojis. It's like, what the hell's going on? Why is Howard, the Howard Hawking retweet? <laughs> yes, that what? goal. Honestly, I oh, I flipped my iPad and like just <laughs> I was up in the air at that. It was uh, it was water bang. I, apparently, so for the XG nerds out there, that was naught point naught one. So he had one in a hundred chance. One in a hundred percent chance of scoring that, wow. which is mad. Well, they're so welcomed moments like that in, in this current kind of climate because it's so rare that you do react exactly as you said there, Lloyd. You know, it's great that you can actually see a goal and just forget for an instant that there's no fans there and just get embroiled in the drama. So that's good. Um, okay, Joe, well, Armand City's track record against West Ham in recent years is phenomenal. Won 10 and 10. Aggregate scoreline of thirty-four to four. Can you see this continuing, even though Moises' men are flying right now? Uh, I think we can definitely score goals against them. Like, obviously, they've done well to come back and you know get a draw against Spurs in that game, scoring three goals, and that's that's you know they're, they're going to be on a bit of a high from that. But they did go three 0 down pretty quickly in that game. Um, I think they got a good beating by Everton as well, didn't they, when they came up against them? So it shows how they've been defending when it comes up when it comes to them playing against the teams who are certainly in form so far this uh, this season. Um, I think we've we've definitely got the ability to score goals against them, but I think I think there's I can't see us getting through this game like conceding zero or one goals. Um, it's it's because I think Lloyd's right. They've got like a pretty good mix that front that front three. 
Um, Bowen, in particular, has had a really good start to the season, sort of showing why they spent the money on him in January. Um, Antonio is just his his physicality and like his presence that he just he just gives a back four like so many issues just with his with his pace and his strength. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be it's going to be a, a pretty difficult game, I think. But we we should still win. But I don't think it'll be quite the you know the three four five nils that we've seen in the past few seasons. Yeah, I think yeah. definitely the sorry Lloyd, but definitely the point you made earlier about no fans uh, will contribute to that. You know, so if City go ahead in normal circumstances with their home fans as they are, I think collectively that kind of club just collapses in on itself, and then you can go on to win four or five nil. Yeah, absolutely. One one other thing I've I picked up actually watching them over the last I think couple of games is they've signed this guy called Kufal, mm. who's been playing right back, and he has started unbelievably well, um, like like an absolute train. Because he's obviously playing kind of right wing back in in their position in in their system, but he's been he's been kind of flying up and down. Looks really technically good. Proper steal for them because um, that's been a bit of a problem position, obviously, for them. Given Zabs has obviously called it called it time now, and I think Fredericks has had has picked up quite a nasty injury. So yeah. that's a that's a very shrewd signing for them because I remember look, when we looked at their business at the beginning of the season, it was like, oh, they haven't really signed anyone, but I think they got him in on loan, kind of as the season had already started. So that looks like a very shrewd bit of business. So fair play because West Ham are very shit at transfers normally <laughs> they have been yeah although think, Bowen um, was, was you know one of those players you look at going why aren't other clubs going in for him oh Bowen looks Bowen looks really good yeah. He's, yeah. I actually checked I thought I kind of went and looked at him on Wikipedia I was like I don't know why he just his face just says that he's like 28 or 29 but he's yeah. actually only like 23 or something yeah so he's hungry fair play yeah I think they'll be tough to go against um, in set pieces as well um, Stuchek looks like he's a beast from any sort of like any sort of high ball that comes in, whether it's a free kick or a corner. Um, so, you know, we're not particularly the best at defending corners if we're going to, if, if, if recently. So I don't know. It's, Lads, you've got me worried now. <laughs> have, either of you, have either of you got any West Ham players in your fantasy teams? Or? I don't, I, I didn't bother with fantasy team because I always drop out. So I've learned my lesson. I, I can't, I can't ever risk putting West Ham players in there because they're just, they're just so unpredictable. It's just it can't do it. I brought Antonio in this week just to, just to as, as Stefan would say, like a covering bet Straight against down. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, this game's got a bit of controversy attached to it in the build-up to it. Yeah, it's been revealed as a cinema in Stratford, just one mile from the stadium, that's allowing a hundred people in to watch the game. Um, Joe, what's your take on this? I mean, for me, you think, well, if we can have 100 people in a hot, sweaty cinema, why can't they have 100 people at the ground? Listen, it, it just makes no sense. Like, I think we also... Did we, Did you see the pictures on Twitter? Was it Was it last week or the week before? It was um, It was somewhere in London that had, like, a variety show or something. Yes. And it was basically... Yeah. It, was, it was basically just filled... It was packed, basically. They had, like, the token, like, one seat between, between groups of people. But otherwise, it was basically a full house. And... This is sort of kind of the same. It's just like you, you can, why can you pack a cinema with people, but we can't have a stadium that is designed to fit fifty, sixty thousand people in it. Just have just have like a, a tenth of that a capacity in there. You could easily space people out. We've seen it happen elsewhere across Europe. And I understand that obviously the you know the cases number the case numbers are rising now and, and it's and it's reaching the point where people are starting to go into second waves and stuff like that and having more lockdowns. 
But it, it just seems like compared to stuff that we are allowed to do, going into a stadium now doesn't actually seem that intimidating compared to the other things that we can do. So yeah, this this cinema thing is just a, another in a long line of hilariously inconsistent things that we can or can't do during this whole thing. Lloyd, would you go along with that? Oh, made me angry, this news. Made me angry. Um, it's <laughs> it's just utterly, utterly nonsensical. I mean, it's... Unfortunately, that's uh, I think that's a characteristic of almost every government intervention and policy over the last few months, but um, it just doesn't make any sense that you can't... You know, you're allowed to be in, in a cinema, which is, you know, we've all been, they're pretty hot, um, they're quite confined, um, there's not much spacing between people. Uh, so you can do that and we'll, you know, we'll charge people for it, but fans can't go to grounds, you know, and we're talking, particularly with Premier League grounds, we're talking 50, 60,000 seat of grounds where you could easily, I think, surely have up to 25% of the kind of number of people there. I, I appreciate the concern about um, people kind of mixing on the concourse, but from from what I've seen anyway, it's, it sounds like in in most of the kind of non-league grounds and stuff and like Dulwich Hamlet's here near me, like there are only certain bars open and they, you know, like like any pub or whatever, they've created proper kind of procedures and, um, you know, lines and where you should and shouldn't stand. And I think the thing that really drilled it home for me is I was actually watching um, the select committee uh, meeting on it was on the government's website it was with Oliver Dowden who's the culture uh, who's the minister for like culture and sport and he was talking to um he was talking to uh, the head of the FA I can't remember his name and he's basically saying oh the big concern from the government's perspective is actually that um, we're worried about people traveling in cars to and from games and you know households mixing and the head of the FA was like well actually we've uh, we've got data here that shows that um 67 of uh, sorry, we were saying that you know we're worried about people getting public transport um, and and mixing, and you know particularly in London with the tube and stuff. And the head of the FA was like, "We've we can show from data, sixty seven percent of people actually go in cars in their own households to games. That's how most people travel to games all across the country." And Oliver Dowden was like, "Oh, that's surprising. We didn't know that." <laughs> it's like, I was like, "What am I watching a TV show or is this a select committee?" Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of level of incompetence and a lack of um, just fundamental ability to do your job or look into things, then it's it's no it's no surprise that this is the case. But it d- doesn't mean it's good enough. I mean, it's yeah, it's very frustrating. Well, I it's, mean, it's instinct- just- instinctively, you'd feel safer at a ground outdoors in the open air than in a cinema. And, and I'm passing this on not as true for fact as just simply something I've heard a scientist, a leading scientist, say on Radio Four a good few months ago now, but it's always stuck with me. It was calculated that COVID is 19 times more kind of impactful indoors than it is outdoors. 19 times was the figure that he he said. So makes complete sense. I mean, you know, these, we've all been to grounds. They're incredibly open. Most of them don't have roofs, you know, Mm. and they're fucking freezing. (laughs) (laughs) It freezes COVID straight off. Yeah. Jeez, jeez. It's um. If you've been to, I've been to a non-league ground in the time that this whole thing's been happening, and it's it's so much. Uh, non-league grounds are, are open to an extent. You can only have a certain number of people in there, but it's so much easier to to mingle with people in a non-league 
ground than it is a Premier League ground mm. where you have a designated seat and you can't really move from that seat unless you are going to the concourse and then coming back. But if you've got a mask on while you're doing that anyway, if you have to go into the concourse, and that doesn't seem like it's really a problem, but in the non-league ground, you can literally just stand around wherever you want without a mask on. People can walk within the two metres of you like quite freely because of the way that they are with very little seating, if any at all. It's just, it doesn't make sense that that that's it's fine there but not in these you know these these high production premier league grounds where you've got a designated seat that you stay in you 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 know your risk of contracting it from someone else or spreading it is is really quite low compared to the stuff that we are allowed to do did you feel safe joe when you were at that game uh, yeah, I felt I felt safe. I didn't feel like because ultimately, when you you know when you stand at the edge of the seats or whatever, they still have in the seating bits. You you are still separated with two meters from anyone else there. And when the you know, the people who stand at the railings, there's markings of where you can stand two meters apart. But but people still walk past you like as they're walking down the side of the pitch and stuff like that. It still happens. But um, I didn't feel I didn't feel unsafe. I did, it, it's no more or less safe than a supermarket. It's just yeah. it doesn't yeah. it it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. Okay, well, let's get back to the game itself then. Uh, Lloyd, are you predicting any kind of left field selection choices by Pep, or what's your take on it? Uh, particularly, you know, after the um, result against Porto and and you know resting players and, and the like, and of course, you know the injuries that we have. Mm, I think I think the big thing is. The big one will be whether Kevin Laporte come back. Um, obviously, I think De Bruyne has now had pretty much two weeks off since he was pulled out of the Belgium squad. And we had it on um, very good authority that he's fully fit um, and he's ready to, and he's like available for selection this weekend. So. I would guess that Kev probably starts, actually. Um, I imagine Laporte probably won't. Um, but, yeah, I think the team will probably be pretty similar to what we saw against Porto, to be honest. Um, and I think the other thing will just be whether Ake is fit to partner to partner Diaz um, or whether it's it's Eric Garcia again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, no, I would imagine it's a pretty similar team, particularly now Fern is injured. I, I thought... You know, I think Fern has definitely been it kind of bookmarked for a game every seven days now, given his age. Um, and I would have thought he would have played in this one actually. Um, but yeah, I think I, I can't see there being any kind of wild team selections. I think it'll be pretty similar to Porto, but maybe with say Kev or Ake in. So Joe, if, if Kev starts, um, are you anticipating an end to the double pivot on, on this one? Uh. If anything, I probably see that if Kev comes back, then it probably yeah, Pep will probably see that as as you know he's the, he's the more capable attacking player to put in front of Rodri and Gundogan. Yeah, um, I'd like to see Foden and Torres come in to the squad, given what they did in the last fifteen twenty minutes of the Porto game. I think I think it'd be good to see Torres get a start after you know having a you know after Mares has basically started every single game maybe whether he's on the right or the left isn't isn't really too important but it'd be good to see Foden and him get a bit of a run together I assume Aguero is going to play and Sterling will all, all, obviously always play but I just want to see the two of them together again see if it see if that was just a 10 15 minutes against a tired team thing or mm. if that's a you know or if that's a legitimate one for the future thing yeah do you know what? Do you know what would be really nice if we if we saw a bit of Gundo in the six, KDB and Bernardo. That would I'd like to see that. I would also like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, Rodri is, you know, needs resting just as soon as everyone else. So, yeah, I, I think we can conceivably expect that in the weeks to come, whether it's this Saturday or, you know, a week down the line. Um, if 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 Laporte is back, do you think it'll be Ake at left back, or do you think it'll be Cancelo at left back again? Because I think after the Porto game, uh, Cancelo's probably not done himself any favours. No, he at was left awful, back. absolutely atrocious. He was uh, the amount of times he was giving the ball away for me, and I don't think Pep would put up with that for for an instant after the cardinal sin. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Ake, um, if indeed he's available as well. So. It's so hard to predict right now of all these injuries and, of course, just the fatigue of players as well. Um, as is the, the actual scoreline and, and the outcome of the game, that's also impossible to predict. But I'm going to ask you, Lloyd, to do so now. Score prediction? I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. Um, I'll go with I'll go with 2-1. I went for 2-1. I did a West Ham pod the other night, so I'll stay with that. Uh, Joe? I've I've gone I've got a high score I've I've gone for like four two. Okay. Okay. Well, I I hope Joe's right out of the three of us. <laughs> Unless, of course, you know you meant four two to West Ham. <laughs> oh yeah, no 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 four two. All right, we're fine. Uh, we're all right. This is a question I wanted to ask on Wednesday. We sadly ran out of time before I could get to ask it. I'm really intrigued as to what others kind of can offer here on this one. Seven games in. I know it's still early in the season, but seven games we can kind of assess a few things. Joe, what's most encouraged you about City this season and what are your chief concerns? Uh, for me, the most encouraging thing is uh, is the new signings. Um, they all seem to have come in and like, slotted in sort of quite seamlessly yeah. so far. Uh, Diaz in particular looks like he's he's been here for a couple of years, the way that he's played so far. Um Okay, you know, I was I was crying out for us to take a look at him when we were on our, you know, sort of our weird Maguire or bust crusade a couple of years ago. Um so to see him to see him like in our team now and doing doing good in and you know, just again just sort of just sort of looking like he's he's not a new signing, looking like someone who's quite comfortable where he is is really encouraging. Um Torres, like I, I said this on Twitter after the game, and I've written about it before as well, but I can't believe more hasn't been made of the fact that we signed this guy for for twenty million. Is it's 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 like the equivalent of signing Foden from Valencia for twenty million. It's just, it, I, but what baffles me even more about it is that basically any anywhere you look, like Sky, BT, you know, pretty much every newspaper, they're all happy to sort of wax lyrical about how amazing Michael Edwards is for signing Thiago for thirty million. But we've we've signed we've signed this guy for nearly half that. And no, I, from what I can see, like no, I don't know if it's because we did the deal so early or what, but no one seems to be talking about him. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, in terms of concerns, it's, it's, it's still we've had that we've had a bit of an inconsistent start to the season in terms of obviously the Leicester result and the Leeds results. Um, and there is, there is obviously the the whole Peps. You know, the the players will decide whether I stay or or leave things. So we don't really. We it remains to be seen sort of how that will pan out in the long term. But that's 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 my main concern. But I don't really have any more pressing, deep rooted concerns other than that. To be honest. Okay, Lloyd. Same question to you. Good question, Steve. Um, okay. I think so. I think there's a few for each for me. I think the first thing I've really noticed that's really encouraging is Edison looks way sharper this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was a bit concerned. I wasn't concerned that he, you know, that he'd fallen off a cliff or, you know, his form had permanently dropped, but I thought, I just thought he wasn't good enough last season and just uncharacteristically making too many errors, not just with the ball at his feet, but saves as well. Whereas I think he's 
properly on it this season. Obviously, you know, the Leeds the Leeds thing wasn't great, but I think, you know, that that does happen. Goalkeepers do that. And if he can prove, which it looks like he is, that that is just one of those one-offs, then that's fine. Because I think already, for me, he's saved our bacon quite a few times. Um, so that's, I think that's one. Um, I think the other thing is Bernardo looks back which was a, a big concern last season. I think that's obviously a massive plus because I think he's going to give us a lot in midfield and it's it's clear now. I think, yeah, I think particularly with the Torres signing and by the way, Joe, I think that's a great point. I completely agree with everything you said there about kind of how much of a steal that is. Um, I think it's clear that Bernardo is now pretty much exclusively probably going to play midfield for us. Sorry to interject, but Bernardo himself was a signing what we made early and little was made of it at the time as well, wasn't it? So there is some similarities there. Yeah, absolutely, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Bernardo, I think that's a big positive, and I think the the, the other main one is um, is obviously the defense Diaz and Ake. I think already you can tell, you know, Diaz wasn't great the other night against Porto, but I think he, he's just for me, he's just got a bit of an air about him that I think is trending in the really in a really good direction, and I think Ake as well. Again, not seeing loads of him yet, but he's just as he's a solid Premier League player. I mean, he's played over 100. He's got over 120 starts in the Prem. You know that there's a certain level of clout and caliber that comes with that. So they're all big positives, I think. Um, negatives, concerns. I think Rodri. To be honest, I think we're starting to get to crunch time with him. I think he's probably got a few Ooh, more months. You've, you've got it in for Rodri in this part. It's the third time now. <laughs> well, I think it's fair. I think I think it, a lot of people are feeling it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm again. I'm not. You know, I don't think we should sell him, or I'm not. He, I'm not to use an asanism, going to throw him in the bin. Um, <laughs> but you know, the signs are a little bit concerning. Um, so that's definitely one to watch. And I think the other one, which hopefully will solve itself, is I think we've looked a little bit blunt in front of goal. Uh, to be honest, I think that is mostly down to the fact that Aguero and Jesus haven't really, you know, played that much yeah. yet, and we've had to play number nines and hopefully Serge you know he always takes a while to recover his form hopefully a couple more games under his belt and he'll be back close to his close to his level but um, I think we've been a little bit profligate again in front of goal which was obviously a big problem last season so those are my two main concerns I'd say Okay Um, let's have a quick look beyond the Etihad now Um, a few miles down the road outside of Manchester in fact to United v Chelsea Um, these are two teams with a lot of similarities. Uh, they've got club legends managing them. They've got piss poor defences. They're inconsistent in their results. Joe, which of the two would you back to resolve their issues and ultimately secure a top four spot this season? Uh, for me, it'd have to be it'd have to be Lampard. I think Chelsea's defensive issues, certainly since Project Restart, at the very least, I think it's become crystal clear that Kepper is is the large the largest reason behind a lot of their. Yeah. Their their problems because some of the some of the shots that he concedes it's it it makes Claudio Bravo look good it's um but hopefully if 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 Mendy's if this new keeper Mendy they've got if he if he comes back from his is it was he injured for the last last couple of yeah, weeks if he comes straight. back now yeah. yeah so if he comes back now and hopefully the defense because that having a decent keeper and if nothing else will make and I know that obviously individually Chelsea's defenders aren't exactly the the top tier but. If they've got a decent keeper behind them, that will hopefully make them play with a bit more confidence generally and be far less sort of panicky and wary of what's behind them. Um, I think United have just been sort of outright bad. Um, Maguire, even before, 
you know, even before the whole thing over the summer in Greece and before everything that's happened since then, he's last season, he wasn't exactly setting the world alight with his defending. I think it's been pretty obvious to certainly to United fans that they need another centre back to go alongside him. They haven't got one. Um, De Gea's season last year was, was awful. Um, so, you know, he may improve on that this season, but there's only so much he can do if the defence in front of him is not great. They've, they have signed a left-back to upgrade on Luke Shaw, but that's not really too difficult given Luke Shaw's <laughs> form. Um, and like you say, yeah, there's, it, it's ultimately Lampard has a team full of a lot of fresh faces that just need to gel and come together, whereas United's team is still essentially the same as what it was last season. But they're just not looking like they're not looking like a team that's improved over time. They just look like the same sort of mediocre team that they were when Oli came in. Um, Lloyd, United and Chelsea uh, have kind of been known in, in recent times, and traditionally so maybe as well, making a Galactico signings, and that, and that can be extended too to their managers. Usually, they go for the big names, the proven names. They've both gone down almost a sentimental route here with their coaches. Um, firstly, does that surprise you? And second of all, is that backfiring? Does it surprise me? Um, it doesn't surprise me from United's perspective. Uh, that, you know, you've got to know the United way and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't surprise me from United's point of view. I think from from Chelsea's point of view, um, no, because I think Frank has so much with that club that I understand the attraction. Um that being said, Marina Granaskaya and Abramovich are obviously very serious operators. Um, so I think you know ultimately this season is crunch time for, for Frank Lampard. But I understand. I understand in the position they were in with no. I think the context is important as well. They were under a transfer ban, so they couldn't sign anyone. So I think actually that move did make sense. Um, whether Lampard comes through it this season, I think we would all agree it's probably remain remains to be seen. So I think the crunch will be, you know, will be this season on that front. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of whether it's backfiring, United are weird under Oli because I almost, I'm starting to think they've had so many good results now against top class teams that he's clearly, he's clearly not a complete mug. Like he knows how to set, teams up particularly to play on the break and to be slightly more defensive I think it's happened too many times now to basically say that he's a complete charlatan he obviously knows what he's doing from a tactical perspective but I think can is he good enough to be the United manager not absolutely not but is he a decent manager that can set teams up you know in in a kind of cohesive way to kind of particularly numb and dumb kind of stronger teams yeah I think he's proven himself to be very good at that to be honest um, but ultimately I think he's way off being you know the United manager I think Solskjaer for me strikes me as the kind of guy that's probably going to get United around about you know mid 60s 70s points but are they ever going to push City, Liverpool no chance um, Frank again refer back to my previous answer I don't think they're regretting it yet um, I think Chelsea have signed loads of good players this summer but they've signed loads of players full stop, which is always a bit of an issue. Um, so that's gonna that's gonna take time, and obviously time is time is of the essence in modern football. So yeah, I think we've got to wait till the end of the season. I think to judge Frank. Um, Joe, just somewhat of a loaded question, I admit, but is there another Premier League club out there who would have Solskjaer as their manager who would choose over other names to have him as their manager? 
Oh, God. He does... Screams West Ham, doesn't it? <laughs> uh I, don't, I, I honestly no. I, I don't think I don't think there is because I think the only reason why he's got the United job and <clears throat> you know when when you looked at when this when they sacked um, Mourinho the sort of the names that were being thrown around like you know Simeone Allegri Pochettino like these kind of big names there's not a single one of them who was looking at the who's looking at United situation like in a post Mourinho freefall and and where they were at the moment in their careers then and thinking oh yeah that's better than where I am now and I think Solskjaer just sort of you know, he, he looked out because he was a guy who he was a guy who knew the club. He was a guy who was happy to come in and do the quick two three month job that at the time it looked like it might have been. Um, he just so happened to you know all of his mates are in the media. You know, Rio saying United are back and give him a blank check and stuff <laughs> like that. Like he had he had basically everyone who could have possibly swayed fans' opinion saying that this was the man for the job, yeah. and it's all kind of like come together. And resulted in just comedy. It's been, it's been as like like Lloyd says. It's it, it's odd because he obviously he did the treble over us last season, and he's the the result he got against PSG this week. Like obviously, he's doing something right, but he's not doing it anywhere near consistently. He's doing it just enough to keep his job, which is which is for me perfect. Like I, <laughs> yes. I, I, I want him, I want him to keep doing it this way. <laughs> Because he's he's it looks like he'll have a, he'll have a couple of games he'll have you know he'll have the Crystal Palace and he'll have like a Brighton game where he's just he scrapes it through he'll have the six one against Spurs and then he'll beat PSG and it's just it's I don't know they're just so erratic and just so difficult to predict all the time but I'd rather that than they get someone like Pochettino in who might actually have a clue and know how to set them up and take them forward. Yeah. Right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, thanks for joining us today, Joe. Yeah, thanks you. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much, Lloyd. Cheers, Steve. Up. And thanks as ever for listening in. It's always appreciated. And well, in normal circumstances, City go to West Ham tomorrow and fill their boots. But this is anything but normal circumstances. Manchester is in tier three lockdown. We have the greatest defender Danny Murphy's ever seen getting injured and blowing the title race wide open because apparently Van Dijk didn't play 38 times when City won the league in 2019. Most perplexing of all, we have Oli Gunnar Solskjaer masterminding a a second win in Paris. It's a weird, weird world out there, everyone. So take care. And forever, up the blues.